0: Turn again to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin reading with verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Read to the end of the chapter. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Our text for this evening is verses 18 through 20, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, The Word of God that we consider tonight, this exhortation is again related to the final exhortation that we have been considering of the Apostle Paul to the church, not only at Ephesus, but to all the churches of our Lord Jesus Christ. That should be evident when you consider the text itself begins with what is not a complete sentence, but only a clause, and that incomplete sentence is related to a prior clause. It begins praying always and that praying always is related to his previous exhortation to be putting on to wear the full armor of God. The idea is that those two things are closely related. And those two things, remember, also were not complete sentences as such, but related to the overall exhortation, the one word, stand. All of this that we have been considering is subject to the one exhortation of the Apostle to the church of Jesus Christ to stand. Stand in the evil day. Stand against the wiles of the devil. And now in order to stand, be putting on the full armor of God, the complete armor of God, and be praying. The point of the Holy Spirit here, therefore, is twofold. One is to teach that praying or prayer is as necessary as putting on the whole armor of God in this battle of the ages, in this standing against the wiles of the devil. That's worth noting. How often have we considered the idea of putting on the armor of God? Entire series of sermons have been preached on that, but how often have we considered what follows, which is pray. Also it is it is as important as putting on the armor in fact what the spirit wants us to see is it is through prayer that essentially we put on the armor of God last Sunday we considered this putting on the armor of God and the wearing of it and we noted that one puts it on and wears it by faith by believing by knowing and trusting with absolute certainty. But if you ask now, how is that carried out and done? The answer is through prayer. One wears the armor, puts it on through prayer. That's what the Spirit wants us to see. Going into this subject separately also enables the apostle the holy spirit to delve more deeply into the subject of prayer something that scripture frequently does. It does not simply mention prayer in passing or even often set before us the need to prayer to pray but expands on it. The Heidelberg Catechism does that when it goes through the apostles creed then it sets before us as eight Lord's Days of the entire 52, the subject of prayer, giving us that much consideration of that subject. It's really what is going on here too, giving us an opportunity to consider the subject more deeply, and that because it's necessary. Finally, there are really three things that are striking about this exhortation to prayer, and they will be. The three points of the sermon. And the first regards the frequency and the passion of prayer, has to do with how we pray. And the last two consider the content of prayer, namely for what we pray. And strikingly here, we are told, with regard to putting on this armor and our own protection, to pray for one another, to pray. First of all, for all the members of the church, all the saints. And then finally, to pray for the Apostle himself, to pray for him as an ambassador in bonds. And of course, the great question there is, why? Consider with me this exhortation of the Holy Spirit to be praying always in the Spirit. Praying always in the Spirit. And we consider those three major points Praying always in the Spirit with all perseverance and supplication. Secondly, praying for all the saints in the church. And secondly, praying for the ambassador in bonds. We are tonight, beloved people of God, exhorted first of all to pray with all perseverance and supplication. That is, the Spirit has something to say through the Apostle regarding how we pray, and in particular, the frequency and the fervency, or the passion, with which we pray. And he sets that forth in the first part of this exhortation when he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." that receives considerable emphasis, both the frequency of prayer and the passion of prayer. That's done, even if you look at the passage closely, by the inclusion of the word always, not simply pray, but pray always, and the repeated use of the word all, praying always with all prayer. And the idea is an all supplication in the Spirit. That's emphasizing the necessity of prayer. The need for prayer. Also notice the repetition of certain words. The word prayer. Praying always with all prayer. And then the repetition of the word supplication. Prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching and making supplication for all the saints. The idea of that repetition is this, to pray with all manner of prayers. Not only pray always, but pray with all sorts of prayers. All kinds of different prayers. And supplicate not only and supplicate always, but supplicate with all kinds of or manner of supplications. And then if we Still didn't get the point. The Spirit adds the words watching and perseverance. He connects prayer with watching. There's a connection there. And with perseverance, the idea, of course, is this, that praying always and praying for all manner of prayers and supplications is work. It requires dedication. It requires attention. It requires a certain zeal. So pray for that too and make it a part of your prayer. And that's also why we exhorted to pray in the Spirit. The idea there is simply this, that prayer is an act of faith. Prayer, therefore, is done only by the power of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who enables one to pray, and without the Spirit one cannot pray. And then the idea furthermore of praying in the Spirit is pray with the mind and the will, the purpose and the wisdom of the Spirit, so that the content also is Spirit-driven. Now what the Apostle sets before us tonight, beloved, in this passage is really nothing new. And it's worth noting that whenever the subject of prayer comes up, that frequently these ideas are incorporated into the Scripture's instruction on prayer. For example, Jesus Himself taught a parable, gave a parable, in which He said the purpose was to teach men that they ought to, always to pray and not to faint notice that that over against prayer and the need for prayer is our propensity to faint and then we need to know that we ought to pray we need to pray and so Jesus teaches that and gives a parable regarding that The Apostle James, in his very practical epistle, reminds the saints that the effectual prayer of a righteous man, that is, a believer, availeth much. That's James chapter 5, verse 16. Praying frequently and with the content that he sets before us in this passage was also the practice of the Apostle Paul himself. At least Seven times, and perhaps a few more, if one would dig around and look. The Apostle reminds the churches to whom he writes in his epistles that I am praying always for you, constantly, frequently. Romans 1, verse 9 is representative here. For God is my witness. So important is this, and so important is it for the church to know that he brings God in. As a witness, he swears an oath, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Praying with frequency and with fervency or passion, therefore, is necessary and important. Thus, the emphasis of the Scriptures. There are, of course, many reasons that could be cited tonight for why we must be praying always in the Spirit and praying with perseverance and supplicating. One simply needs to look at our great needs if one were simply to measure one's own personal needs, they would warrant continual prayer. If we truly understood what we need, if we truly understood the great peril and trouble that we are in, which we don't, it would warrant continual prayer. But now, moving ahead just a little bit, consider the content He's going to lay upon us, which is pray for all the saints and pray for the ambassador in bonds, and you have even many, many more reasons. In other words, one shouldn't really even have to give the reasons why prayer needs to be fervent, that is, passionate, with zeal, and with perseverance, and occur always we ourselves should recognize that and we should also recognize that if we admit we do not pray we do not pray enough we do not pray as we should what we're really saying is i'm not recognizing my real need or i recognize my need but i'm foolish enough not to pray for it Nevertheless, in the light of this particular passage, we need to look at the need to pray always and to pray with fervency and passion. What does the Spirit connect this great need for? Why does the Spirit so emphasize that in verse 18 of this passage? And He tells us it's because there's a war going on. The need, is that the child of God must stand in the great battle of the ages. In this great spiritual battle against the wiles of the devil, notice that even though there is really only one enemy that's mentioned, it warrants continual prayer, as the apostle has even noted leading up to this passage, do you understand, people of God, against what you fight? You fight against the devil, the most powerful creature in all of God's creation. And then he's wily, he's subtle, he's sneaky, he's devilish, he's deceitful beyond your imagination. Oh, and please understand what this involves, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Why pray? Why pray at all times? Why pray fervently? Well, number one, because you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. If you wrestled against flesh and blood, well, a certain amount of prayer might be required as military soldiers and foxholes discover. But we wrestle against spiritual principalities and against powers and against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why. Why? And then, of course, the Apostle's solution to that, how now are we going to stand? How is the child of God going to stand in that onslaught against that power and against that might? He has no chance. He has no hope. Well, He does. The Apostle says, here's some armor. And here's some weaponry. Put it on. It will protect you. It will save you. It will defend you. Oh and pray. So the necessity of prayer is that of first of all standing. The idea is very clear. Without prayer, you will fall. I will fall. And secondly, without prayer, you cannot put on the armor of God. That's the idea. We ask simply tonight... Why all this? Why the urgency of prayer? What's the necessity? The answer is, well, this is really how you put on the armor of God. This is how you receive it. This is how you recognize it. This is how you wear it. To be more specific, if you wanted to know how to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, you want to know how to do that. Where do you learn how to do that? What do you learn what it is? The answer is through prayer. Through prayer. Prayer will bring you the answer. Prayer will instruct you on that. If you ask how do you put on the helmet of salvation, how do you girt your loins about with truth, the idea is prayer. Notice, put those things on praying. More specifically, what the Spirit has to do what he means is that putting on this armor and wielding this sword isn't simply a matter of putting it in your hand or slapping it on your spiritual body. One must pray. One must pray that that armor be effective, that that sword be effective. And through the mysterious art of prayer, and through the means that it is and how God works, He strengthens, He gives courage, It gives standing so that the child of God perseveres in that great, great battle. That's the reason for the exhortation. Now, when the apostle lays forth these exhortations with regard to prayer, that gives us opportunity to compare that with our own practices with regard to prayer. Truly, we should be able to say this evening when we receive this exhortation, I see the importance of that, and I see where I lack with regard to that. That's what we should be doing. The exhortation is here because the Spirit knows our weaknesses. He knows our tendency to imagine that we can go into battle, perhaps with some armor, but not prayer. Or somehow the armor can be effective without prayer. That prayer is not really all that important. So as we go through this, let's examine our own prayers. First of all, pray in the Spirit. Everything hinges on this. The idea is there can no, be no praying always. There will be no perseverance in prayer. There will be no supplications. Certainly no right supplications unless we pray in the Spirit. The idea is this is not a special category of prayer, as if there's prayers without the Spirit, that one can pray in some other way than without the Spirit, and then there's praying in the Spirit. But no, all prayer, all real prayer, all true prayer is prayer in the Spirit. The prayer is, the Spirit is absolutely essential for all prayer. It marks all prayer. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, the meaning is that all prayer, Certainly, the kind of prayer that the Apostle is urging upon us is prayer that is empowered and governed by the Holy Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, specifically His Spirit. That is, that one who is engaging in prayer believes that he cannot even pray unless he's been filled with the Spirit, the Spirit given in regeneration. The Spirit imparted to the child of God when He's made alive by that same Spirit. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. It means when I bow my head in prayer, I recognize that what's about to come from my heart and from my lips is utterly impossible apart from the Spirit. He's the power. He's the source of my prayer. Secondly, I believe that I receive a richer measure of the Spirit through prayer itself. That's the instruction of Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg Catechism teaches not only is prayer a work of the Spirit, a power of the Spirit, but that we are empowered to that Spirit through the very act of prayer. That prayer is how we petition God for the Spirit, for a strengthening of the Spirit, for more and more of the Spirit. That all by itself should make one fall on his knees continually and say I need to pray oh I have the spirit, I believe I'm regenerated I know the life of Christ but it's exactly that which makes me see I need that spirit more and more, how deficient I am because of my sin and my weaknesses and my failings I need to pray that's what it means to pray in the spirit Lastly, it means that we pray according to the mind and will of the Spirit. That is, I pray with the knowledge of the Spirit, which were really the two first things I mentioned. What we believe, what we know to be true, but we pray in the wisdom of the Spirit. And we pray according to the will of the Spirit. That is, my will is left behind. And I don't pray according to what I think is wise and good and right. For example, that's done when, of course, we do pray according to our will. Our will does will what we pray. That's part of the wonder of conversion. But we make what we will subject to the will of God, the will of the Spirit in many, many instances. Where perhaps we are convicted that this is the right way. This is the way that things must go. This is what's right and true. But we remember that that too is subject to the wisdom of the Spirit. And the Spirit may say to us, no, my son or my daughter, there is another way. This is the way of wisdom. So that's what it means to pray in the Spirit. Pray believing that we cannot even pray apart from the Spirit, that we pray by the power of the Spirit. means that we pray seeking the Spirit Himself, His wisdom, His power, and also that we pray according to His wisdom and will. The meaning of praying in the Spirit also is this, that we then pray for spiritual things. If I pray in the Spirit, that is, by the Spirit, and according to the wisdom and will of the Spirit, then what I will pray for is not carnal things, but spiritual things. It means that when, even when I do pray for things that are necessary for me in this life, like bread, I basically, if I'm praying in the Spirit, limit it to that. That's why Jesus limits all earthly things to one thing, bread. Take all matters of health, Take all matters of wealth, take all matters of household and earthly life and all such physical things, condense them all down to bread, and now take that request for bread and limit it to give us this day, today, my daily bread. What I need for today, the car I need for today, the house I need for the day, the food I need for today. That's it. There. That's praying in the Spirit. And then everything else. It's about the spiritual realm. Again, we may go to our Lord Jesus Christ who taught us the very same thing. If you had to ask Jesus, what did you mean when you taught us these things in prayer, Jesus would say, I'm teaching you how to pray in the Spirit. Here's the petitions that you make. Look at those petitions one by one. Hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's praying in the Spirit. Notice those all pertain to the Spirit. They all pertain to God the Spirit. Then, when you pray about yourself, limit the carnal things to bread, then there 's the spiritual matters, the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins, deliverance from evil, and then it 's back to God again that 's what he means to pray in the spirit. We pray for spiritual things. we may again compare our prayers to that and just as an advance notice, that's the idea of when we pray for all the saints too. That later on, when we consider our prayers for all the saints, something very important too, that I'm praying mainly for their spiritual soul, for their spiritual well-being. Oh, I may be praying for health and strength in the midst of a great disease, but what I'm really praying for is their spiritual health and their spiritual well-being. And that's what I desire in the church. Secondly, the apostle sets forth with us praying always, that is, at all occasions and all times. The Spirit here is teaching us that the Christian life, the Christian is characterized by prayer, and his life is characterized by prayer. Again, this is something the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us. When it gets to our life and calls it the life of thankfulness, it shows that that life of thankfulness, number one, is a life according to the will of God, His law. That's what that life should look like. And number two, the chief part of that life, notice the chief part of thankfulness, the chief part of the Christian life is prayer. Prayer. Now, again, if you ask why that is, there's a lot of answers that could be given. Number one, because the Christian is chiefly and essentially now spiritual. He's a spiritual creature. He's no longer a carnal, physical, earthly creature. He's a spiritual creature. And prayer is what spiritual creatures engage in. Prayer is the one means that we can communicate with God. So if you ask the question, why, again, why should this characterize my life? The answer is, it's the only way to fellowship with God. Think about it. We say the covenant is a life of fellowship. And if you ask, well, what does that fellowship look like? The answer is prayer. You tell me how in the world a Christian, a covenant Christian, can communicate or fellowship with God without praying to God. The individual that says they can or they do is lying. Fellowship is talking, speaking, communicating. And what does the Bible call that? What's the Bible's word for talking and communicating and speaking with God? Prayer. So that's one reason the Spirit comes to us tonight and says, Pray always in the Spirit that yes, spirit why he'd say well it's your life how can you have fellowship with your wife without talking to her so also how can you fellowship with God without talking to her now what does the spirit mean well number 1 Spirit is emphasizing here that prayer is not simply something we do at a matter, at a time of crisis, in a time of trouble. That's what we often see prayer to be. Well, I'm fine. No need to pray. Might not be so bold as to think it, but it's really how we think because the only time you see us on our knees in prayer is when there's trouble. When something's happened. When we feel overwhelmed about something. The other times we just kind of cruising along without praying at all. No. Praying always means pray not simply when you have a particular reason or a particular occasion might stimulate to that, but pray at all times. Pray on all occasions and all opportunities. Pray when you're celebrating as well as pray when you're crying and mourning. Pray with laughter and joy in your heart as as well as pray with tears in your soul. Pray when you're singing. Again, one of the reasons it's so wonderful to sing the Psalter Numbers and the Psalms. Notice how many are prayers. When we sing, we're praying. So also, when you pray, you can be singing. Ever say to yourself, I don't know what to pray? Open up the psalter. Open up the psalm book and just start singing. And very soon you will find yourself praying. That's what the words are. Pray at the beginning of your day. Pray at the close of the day. Acknowledge your dependence upon God to even get up and go to work and labor, to even sit and think. Pray at the close of day, thanking God for preserving you and saving you and being kind and good unto you. Pray whenever you make decisions, certainly major decisions. Pray, young people, over dating and the decisions you have to make in that regard. Pray with regard to marriage. Pray with regard to your occupation and your job. Pray with regard to your labor in the home, what to do with your children and how to deal with them, how to live in your home as children with your parents. Be praying, praying always. Pray about minor things as well as major things. Oh, how sometimes other Christians put us to shame in this regard, do they not? We tend to pray only when there's crisis and major decisions. And we see other Christians rightly praying. Praying about things where we might even think, well, that's insignificant. Aren't they even being a little blasphemous about this? No, it's a recognition that we we need Christ. We need His Spirit. We need His strength even to take one step in our day. The Apostle goes on also to talk about the manner of our prayers about praying with perseverance. And he includes the word watching. What's he getting at there? Well, number one, with the word watching, he's pointing out that prayer and watching are virtually synonymous. In Scripture, they almost always go together. Be watchful and in prayer. Jesus called the disciples of Gethsemane to watch and pray, and noted that they did neither. Now, are those two separate activities? No, actually, they're one. The idea is we pray because we watch, and we're really watching in prayer. It might seem like we're just speaking, but it's part of being watchful. It belongs to it. It follows from it. One who watches, one who actually truly sees with the eyes of faith, what's going on, sees the peril, sees the danger, sees the need, will pray. And they're expressing that. And so those two are always connected, watching and praying He's emphasizing there the need and the fervency, and then he adds to that with perseverance. Pray when you don't feel like it. Pray when it seems like there's hardly a heart for it. Pray even when you're not really sure how to express what to say. Pray when the grief in your heart is so overwhelming you you don't know even what you're thinking. There's something about prayer the apostle is setting before us that when we persevere, we're strengthened. We find our cloudy mind being cleared. We find the confusion fading. It's an amazing thing, so persevere. But then the apostle also emphasizes make all kinds of prayers. He repeats the word prayer, in fact, and repeats the word supplication. Prayer, you see, is the general word for communicating with God. That word prayer is the general word that covers all kinds of prayers. And the Apostle, by repeating it, means pray, making all kinds of different prayers. And that's what he means by the word supplicate too. Supplicate really is a form of prayer. Not all prayers are supplications, but many supplications are in our prayers, and many prayers are supplicatory prayers. But then there's all kinds of different supplications, different kinds of supplications. And so he repeats that word too pointing out the need again to be praying always and praying in all manner of ways and for all manner of different things The fact is that prayer is much more than supplication It is frequently characterized by supplication O oh Lord that's what supplications are It's the first of all recognizing the need it's part of watching I watch, I see, I notice, I am in need. And then going to God is the only one who can provide it, and then believing that He will provide it in His grace. That's supplication. To come before God is needy and dependent and asking for what we need. And keep in mind here, too, what the Scriptures often remind us with regard to perseverance is that God delights in this You understand that, especially you parents, right? There's something wonderful and nice when your children recognize their need and that you're there to provide it. And so they request it. Don't demand it. They request it. God always delights in granting our requests and hearing our prayers. But prayer is also adoration. It's worship. It's confession. These are all things Jesus taught and it's Thanksgiving. Those things should all be part of our prayer. You can look at that. What is prayer? What does He mean when He makes all manner of prayers? The Apostle is saying supplicate, supplicate, supplicate. But don't forget, it's also, I always remember by the acronym ACT, A-C-T, adoration or worship, confession, confession not only of sin, but confession of who and what God is, even flows out of adoration, and then thanksgiving, thanking God for what He's given. Now, The next two things that we consider tonight are what we are to pray for. And we're next exhorted by the Spirit to pray for the church, making supplication for all the saints. All that emphasis actually falls upon making supplication for all the saints. Again, there's nothing really new here. This is the same thing, again, that the Lord taught us in the model prayer, in the Lord's prayer. How did He teach us to pray? Me? Myself? I? No. Give us this day our daily bread. When it comes to bread, don't talk about your bread, my bread, what I want. Pray for us and our. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Again, Notice, as we forgive others, bringing to mind again, praying for all the saints. The apostle reminded the saints, I pray always for you, for all of you, for them, the church. Teaching here an important truth of the Spirit. This is something that flows right out of the Spirit might be surprising to you that the apostle doesn't go on to talk about you. tells you to put on the whole armor of God and all that, but even then, remember, I reminded you, he's talking about the church, all the members. You all need to do it. We all need each other. We stand as a force and an army. Not individually. Individually we get slaughtered. We stand together. Not one can fall. Remember that? So does it surprise you then that he says, now pray for one another? Again, the Spirit knows us. He knows our selfishness. He knows that we're self-focused. It's part of our problem. Our problem even in prayer. So that there's hardly any instruction in Scripture even about praying for yourself and your own needs, certainly. That's not forbidden, not wrong. But do we recognize we need to pray for one another, to pray for all the saints? That's why that is. <clears throat> the answer is we are a church what's the subject of the book the church is the body of Christ points out that we need one another we cannot exist with one another certainly we cannot fight against the wiles of the devil without one another and therefore pray for one another have you ever considered that even when considering the frequency of prayer when's the last time you took out a directory from this church Started going through it, one by one, and saying, now does this saint need? And what does that one need? How can I pray for them? Oh yes, it's certainly appropriate to pray for one another as a group. We do that. We do that as a congregation often. But even in the congregation, we pray for certain individuals. But now think about all the things that perhaps only a few of us know, or truly know. And notice all the saints, not just the saints we think of and we see and we recognize and we know, but the saints that might be somewhat removed. Saints in trouble, saints in distress, saints under discipline. All of them. Old saints that can't even come to church anymore. When's the last time someone prayed for Myra in their personal prayers? I could go on and on and on. I can confess it's one thing that makes praying for individuals in the congregational prayer so difficult. It's like, where do we stop? Where do we end? We could go on and on. The apostle knows, the Spirit knows our tendency of selfishness and pride and therefore that's why it's also brought up. You see the Spirit of Jesus Christ isn't concerned just with you. It's amazing How Arminian doctrine is always focused on the self, the person, the me, myself, and the I. Reform doctrine, that is biblical doctrine, is not. It's true spiritual doctrine because the spirit is always concerned about the body. In fact, the body takes precedent over the person. If you ask again, one reason why I should pray for all the saints is because it's a reminder that you need them. It's a reminder that part of your problem, sir or madam, even pastor, is you like to think that everybody needs you. That the church is there to serve you. The church is there just simply for you. But actually, you're there to serve them. Go read the Heidelberg Catechism's Explanation of the Communion of the Saints. It's not about what we get. It's about what we do, what we give, how we serve, and how in the world can we do that if we're not praying about the needs of one another. That we rise or fall together we're bound together we have one Lord one faith one baptism so if you ask now what does he mean pray for all the Saints certainly it includes all the things we basically talked about about ourselves about the physical and the spiritual but now notice again especially the context the spiritual battle of faith putting on the armor of God it means that when we pray even for an individual who is experiencing some very hard times and some disease and affliction or more mourning a very severe loss, what we're praying for is their soul. We're praying that God comfort their soul, deliver their soul, and keep them from the temptation of the devil. We're praying that they themselves might have the Word of God and remember the Word of God that they themselves might be protected by the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. That's their real need. That's our need, is it not? Is that not our real need as a church? And therefore our need as individual members, our need is that we stand and not fall, that we fight and not run away, that we survive this onslaught and this battle that we are in the midst of, And that's what the Apostle means when he says pray for all the saints. And then he adds himself, pray for the ambassador in bonds. And this also gets extensive treatment. He means pray for the minister of the gospel. Striking, the Apostle mentions himself. That's not because he's self-centered. He wants the congregation simply to think about himself. But because he knows that in this context, it's necessary for them to. And notice, this is really the only interest that the apostle wants the church to take an interest in. He doesn't say, pray for the fact that I have more money. Keep in mind that I've got to make tents while I'm doing all this and other such things, and, 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 and even think about my wounds and such. But no, pray for me as an ambassador of the gospel. An ambassador in bonds, that's interesting too. The Apostle Paul likely was in literal bonds at this time. Imprisoned and imprisoned him because of his preaching. Because of what he said, what he preached, what he stood for. The very words that he's bringing were not received. Were not received by members of the church who turned him over to the Roman authorities. And he's saying pray for that. Not pray that the bonds come off. But pray for what I have to say and what I have to speak, pray about the preaching, pray what must come out of my mouth. doesn't say anything about his own physical well-being, does he? It's amazing. But remember too, there's a spiritual side of that. What he's pointing out is that as an ambassador of Christ, he's in bonds because he's the servant of Christ. He's a slave of Christ. Christ gave him a commission. Every minister has a commission. Always remember that. When the minister says what he has to say and preaches what he has to say, he's not doing it because it feels good to him something he thinks would be nice. But he prays because he's in bonds. He has no choice. He has to say what he has to say. It might hurt your feelings. It might make you feel bad. It might make you angry and mad, make you want to storm out of the church go somewhere else. But he says it because he's in bonds. And if the minister brings whatever he wants because he thinks it's what you think you need, then he's no longer in bonds and no longer an ambassador of Christ either. But now more specifically, pray for what? It's amazing again how He brings it down to really what the church needs. Why pray for the apostle in bonds? And The answer is because the church needs Him. Just like the church needs one another, the church needs the ambassador in bonds. It needs the preacher of the Holy Gospel. Pray for utterance that is appropriate words. Pray that I say the right thing at the right time and I say it exactly as it needs to be said to affect what the Spirit wants to affect. Say what's right. Say what God says needs to be said. Say what's appropriate for the church itself. Say what's appropriate for the occasion. Say what's appropriate for the individual. Pray for that. That's worth pointing out because oftentimes I've heard people pray for the preacher and it's often courage. It's great. The apostle adds that. Boldness, courage. But first of all, if you want to back up the train, pray for the appropriate words. Because unless the minister says the appropriate words, there's no need for boldness or courage. Why is boldness and courage needed? And the answer is because he has to say what he has to say because he's in bonds. He's a slave. His master says speak, and he speaks. And so pray. Pray for boldness, that is courage. Again, it's amazing. The apostle is talking first of all about himself. If you'd say there's a man that had courage and boldness, it was the Apostle Paul. What does he need it? And the answer is, he needed it. He had to say some hard things to his brothers and sisters. He had to say some hard things to his own nation and people. And they were not going to be received by many of them. It would come with great persecution and sorrow and trouble. He needed appropriate words and he needed courage because, well, look at, look at what he teaches the church. What he teaches the church about the law and the gospel in the light of their own apostasy that applies to the preachers of the gospel today. Why? And the answer is because they don't change. They don't go away. Things are no different today. If I speak to you, the words of God, the words of the Holy Spirit, someone's not going to receive them here or outside of this place. There'll be someone who resists, someone who doesn't like it, someone who doesn't want it. And the opposition will always be directed at the ambassador in bonds. And again, because he's in bonds, he can't respond the way he wants to respond, perhaps. He must respond the way Christ wants him to respond. Notice that all of this is in the service of knowing and the revelation of the mystery of the gospel. That's what it's all about. Remember how this whole thing began with the mystery of God's will? Think of all the wonderful things that were said and preached. And you look at that and you say, well, why is prayer needed for that? What wonderful and glorious words. And that's the response of faith. But you see, that's not the only response. When the apostle says, pray for the ambassador of the gospel and the interests of the gospel and preaching the mystery of the gospel, what he's pointing out is there is and always will be opposition. Opposition in our own flesh, Including us who believe it and elsewhere it's part of the battle it's part of the faith the battle of faith it's the reason we need armor it's the reason we need to pray but notice by including himself in the preaching of the gospel he sets before us how utterly important that is again i remind you simply that that was part of putting on the armor and we explain how you do that we said two things one by faith number two by attendance to the preaching of the word. That's where we learn what the armor is. That's how we put it on, and now we see the connection to prayer. Prayer is where we recognize that it comes through preaching, through the preaching of the gospel. And for there to be preachers, they have to stand. They have to say certain things. They have to have courage. They need to do what they are bound to do. And the apostle who knows all these things and knows God's sovereignty, knows God is powerful over all, does he say, well, then don't need to pray about it? No, pray. I want to especially leave you with this word tonight. All of you recognize the shortage of ministers of the Holy Gospel in the PRC. This is true generally in the church world. The church world is falling away. Part of that falling away is lack of pastors or pastors that are in bonds. I pray fervently, beloved, that it is not because we have not been praying. Praying, first of all, for all the saints, so we recognize what we really need, and then recognizing what we really need, praying for the ambassador in bonds. Make these your prayers, beloved, and God will hear. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord, we love thy word. We thank thee for the truth of it and the exhortation even this evening to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So grant it, Lord, by thy grace, the mighty grace of thy Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen.